I made the hockey team like shake my hand and you leave. And I'm like, is there a problem? And he's like, and I look at him and I remember I said, well, does that mean like I gotta move out of the hotel? And and I, I remember saying it out loud and thinking how dumb it was. I said, well, how am I gonna get to the rink? I don't have a car. From Lake Lake, it's how I got here. The stories behind the youth, high school, college, and professional sports journey, where it leads, and what we learn along the way. I'm Corey Koski, and on today's show, how a Stanley Cup champion got cut from his Bantam team, gets a college scholarship, and becomes lovingly referred to as the caffeinated squirrel during his Stanley Cup run. So when I think of winning the Stanley Cup, I think of a group of players that have played all year together and get hot at the right time. I also think that the road to Lord Stanley is a pretty straight road for a lot of the players. No adversity and a path that is predestined. I would never think that a Stanley Cup champion wouldn't have a car to get to his rink at one point in his career. I also thought that after you win a Stanley Cup that you have an easier path to stay in the NHL. This isn't always the case. Blake Sloan grinded it out in the minors, the NHL, and then went on to play in Europe until he retired. What does this path look like? And what do you do when you get off that path? This is Blake's story. Well, I, I was born in Park Ridge, and I don't know why people think I come from Park Ridge, because that's where the hospital was where I was born. Okay. So I grew up, I was born in Park Ridge, uh, uh, born and raised in Morton Grove, Illinois. So the Morton Groveanites feel slighted because it doesn't say I'm from Morton Grove. It says I'm from Park Ridge. So, um, Well, on Wikipedia, you can go in there, you can go change that, make that adjustment to, to make them feel more uh, full. Yeah, I'm going to definitely do that. i got to go, <laughs> go take care of that today. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in Morton Grove. It's a um, Morton Grove, Illinois. It's about 20 minutes outside the city on the north side, um, about four miles away from Northwestern University. And, uh, you know, middle class, uh, middle class family. My mom was a physical education teacher for uh, 35 years. Um, and my father had done a bunch of different things. But uh, during my youth and childhood, he was a professional headhunter for a bunch of organizations. So um, I had one sibling. Her name was Tracy. And she was two years younger than I was. So I grew up, uh, you know, with lots of friends and lots of buddies and, um, you know, Spent lots of times at parks, um, and uh, you know the the emphasis in my household uh, throughout my uh, young person life was was focused on education, and you know I, we were allowed in our house to do all the different activities that uh, our parent my my parents supported, no questions asked. However, it was super important that school always came first, and that was the uh, the uh, the big emphasis in our house. So, what kind of kid were you? Uh, I was a kid that didn't ever sit still. I think I gave my parents fits. I think uh, um, there were stories of me as a, as a child where, you know, after two or three days of it being a super cold winter or it raining, my mom fortunately had keys to the high school gymnasiums and basically took me and a couple of my buddies over there and let me just have at it in the high school gyms and you know we didn't just use one gym we used two or three or sometimes four of the different gyms all at once so you know we had we had uh, floor hockey going in one and then we had two on two basketball in another one and then we had the volleyball nets set up in one so um 
Yeah, I was uh, very active, uh, very energetic, and uh, I think I I wore my parents out a little bit in that way. So how'd you sit still long enough to do your homework? You know what I I, <laughs> I don't know. It, it was it was it was a challenge for me to do for sure, and I think I developed you know just the adaptation of that over time. Um, you know, I have a son right now who takes a lot after me, and uh, um, you know they have mechanisms now where they help that. They have the wiggle chair, they have different things in school, and you know I, I just remember literally breaking out into a sweat as I watched the last ten minutes of my day in grammar school, and the clock would go in that last ten minutes, and me literally sweating in my seat. Not couldn't wait for the bell to ring so that I could get outside and go play some, you know, some sports or hit the playground with my buddies and stuff. So it was very challenging, but I think uh, it comes with maturity too. I think the the fourth or fifth grade, uh, things kind of switched in my mind a little bit, and I realized that you know if there were things that I wanted to do, college being one of them that uh, there was going to have to be a refocus and a dedication to that. And I didn't say that as a fourth grader, obviously, but I said, geez, I've got to figure out some things here to do that, that are going to help set me up for later. So um, so how did you do at school? Um, I did really well, I think. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a people pleaser to begin with. So I think, uh, you know, number one, I always wanted to, to, you know, not disappoint my parents. Number two, you know, I, I, I looked up to my teachers. They were, they were people that I, you know, uh, liked to emulate. They were, they were good human beings, and, you know, I didn't want to disappoint them. They asked me to do something, and I was like, yes, I want to do this, and I want to do it well. Um, so I think, uh, you know, just in school it was a challenging situation, but at the same time, um, you know, I looked at uh, the people in my life, my coaches, who all, always asked about my report cards, uh, my teachers that were obviously following through with that, um, and my my mom was uh, in the school district, so it was very easy for her to pick up the phone from the high school and call to uh, one of the junior high teachers and uh, ask you know how I'm doing or um, if there were some challenges that uh, they were facing with me. So, so when did you get first get involved in youth sports, and what sports did you play? Uh, I started right away when I was you know two, three, four years old. I, I remember there's pictures of me in my basement walking around on my skates as soon as I could walk. Um, I had a baseball bat in my hand, you know, as soon as I could hold something. Um, and balls just, I didn't really have toys. And maybe that's a, that's a scary thought, but I, there weren't many toys in my house. I mean, that was, that was just the way it was. And uh, uh, we had board games, lots of board games as a kid growing up, but I started super young. Um, and uh, that was my, you know, I, that was my release, basically, from school as I grew up to get outside after and, and do that. So I started with, I played soccer, and I played uh, baseball, and I did hockey, um, and uh, I did karate for a very long time. It was one of the things that I think really helped refocus my attention on school and detail and listening and all the things that are super important. Um, and, uh, you know, so I... I did all those things as long as I could where it was feasible. And, and the rule in my house, there was only one rule, and that was, uh, um, you know, when one season ended, those things went away, and you did a different, you did a different sport. Um, very different than it is today, as you and I have talked about ad, ad nauseum. So. Do, so you're playing all these different sports. Uh, 
when did you really start to take a really liking towards hockey? Um, I think I always really, really loved the hockey right from the start. Um, I really liked the baseball. Baseball was probably my, my, uh, my most natural sport. Um, and I, um, and I really enjoyed the heck out of that. I, you know, ever since I, I remember being five, six years old and my dad hitting fungal balls to me, you know, in the park. And I think he tells me to this day, it's one of those things because it was so terrific to just to have you run around and just to burn steam. I mean, he would hit skyrocket, you know, balls up in the air and I would just try to run and try to get them and, you know, back and forth for 20 or 30 minutes. And, uh, it's almost like playing catch with your dog. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I, I, uh, I always liked the, the, the competition and the, the, you know, in any sport, but I think, uh, the team aspect really drew me, uh, uh, drew me to baseball, drew me to hockey. Um, and I, you know, I, I didn't really know at that time what sport I really wanted to quote unquote do. I, the messaging in my house also was, was really important and strong. And that message was, you know, I, whether you're, you're playing an instrument or whether you're super, super gifted in school or whether you're, uh, uh, doing something athletically, you know, if you could use those things to help you get into a better university than you could otherwise, I think that was the huge message that my parents sent. And, and, uh, you know, it was nothing about scholarships or earning those things. It was just like, you know what, you could use those things to potentially help you, you know, get into a school that might be academically a little bit better, um, give you more opportunities and open doors and different things. So that was kind of the messaging behind what they always focused on. So, you know, me to ever play in the NHL and play a sport in the NHL was so far beyond anything that I ever wanted to do. I mean, when I grew up, my heroes were, you know, college athletes, high school athletes, um, certainly watched pro sports, but I, I was right dialed in with high school, college um, uh, athletes. Those were my, those were my, who I wanted to be like one day. So were you always the best, one of the best players on the teams you played on? Uh, no, not at all. Hockey, definitely not. Um, baseball, I, I was usually one of the more talented kids, for sure. And I think that that balance was super good for me uh, growing up, too, because I had some really easy success come to me in baseball, uh, a lot quicker and I think I had some challenges in hockey you know just being a smaller player and and how to deal with that and how to utilize those things so I think I had a good balance there and that was that was really good um, I think if you ask any of the young people that I grew up playing with they would never have thought in a million years I'd ever you know play uh, play in the NHL um, and in baseball I, I, I don't know what people would say it's been a long time since I played the game but um, you know, both those two sports, I had some, some pretty decent opportunities to do things. And I, I just, both of them were such a, such a contrast to one another as well. I loved at the end of a hockey season, getting to the end of the season and knowing that I was going to get my baseball glove and go and, and, you know, shag fly balls, go take, you know, the nause, the, the nauseous uh, repetition of taking BP and just getting my swing, finding that again. And I, I, I love the, the difference in that. So you kind of go through your youth sports career, and you kind of go on. You go, you end up playing hockey, and you end up playing for the uh, Boston Junior Bruins. <laughs> so how did that? How do you go from Illinois to playing for the to the Junior Bruins? Well, uh, at the time in Chicago, when I was I was uh, twelve years old, thirteen years old, and there was one, two teams in the in the state that was a Triple A, very different from the Minnesota model that's here. 
Um, but everyone played AAA hockey or, or in a, a travel AA program. Um, and there were two travel teams, Team Illinois and Chicago Young Americans. And I was on the Young Americans. Um, I got cut from that team that year. Um, so I didn't have a team to play for. And this was my eighth, my eighth grade year. Um, the coach said that I, uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, progressing as, as I needed to be. And, and, uh, you know, they were going to take another, take another route with me. And I remember having that conversation with my dad and my mom. And it was, it was kind of the turning point in, in, in what I really wanted to do and how I was going to get there. And, and, you know, my parents sat down with me and said, no, you know, we have some choices to make. We have some uh, decisions to make. You know, let's walk through this and figure out what it's what it's going to look like. And we walked through the different alternatives. And at that time, again, um, my family was very school focused. You know, there was an opportunity to go up to to Canada and play in Toronto um, for a school called St. Michael's. You know, in Toronto, very 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 prestigious school, great hockey program. Um, there was an opportunity to go and, and uh, play junior hockey. And, um, you know, in, in, you know, Nebraska and Iowa and those sorts of things. So you were, what, 14 at the time? Yeah, I was 14. You were to play junior hockey when you are 14? Well, you can when you're fifth. That would be the next, for the next year. So we had to kind of uncover, you know, we had to look out a year, if, yeah. if you would. So at that particular year, so that next year I didn't have a team to play for. I graduated from eighth grade and I was a freshman. Didn't have a team to play for. And I ended up playing uh, midget double A, so all juniors and seniors at that time. Um, and I went into an organization, um, had a super coach, great leadership, all these different things that I, I didn't know what the heck that meant at that time, you know, being so young. However, I do remember, um, I do remember the guys on that team, uh, you know, in tryouts, like this young freshman thinks he's going to play with us. Like this is, this is not okay. Um, you know, and they, they, they pushed me and they challenged me and they, you know, they took runs at me pretty much to see if I had the medal to stand up and play with them. And, you know, the difference physically between a 14-year-old and an 18-year-old is quite substantial. Um, but there were so many things that I took away from that, uh, from those guys, not only in how they mentored and, and kind of pushed me, but then once I kind of showed them I could stand up and, you know, play with them, they, they, they took me under their wing and they were, they were as big brother-esque as you could possibly imagine when we played other teams so it was a huge kind of building block for me gave me some confidence I had to kind of elevate my game a little bit um, and it was one of the big things and you know turning points of, of me hockey wise um, so that was a huge a huge stepping stone for me um, and in the meantime of playing that year you know my mom and dad continued to have that conversation of you know what do you want to do after this how is this going to look and thank goodness my dad was a hockey coach growing up um, and had a lot of different connections and different thoughts and different ideas. And it's not like he ever said, this is what you're going to do. Um, but, you know, we laid it on the table, like those three options we just talked about. And uh, I said, gosh, you know, Dad, you've always talked about the, the education piece. And even if I don't play hockey, you know, maybe I play baseball. And, you know, so you're I, still playing baseball during this Oh, I, yeah, 100%. Way into baseball. And uh, so I, he said, I said, told my dad, I said, you know, I, I'd like to go check out these prep schools because I don't know that I'm even that good in hockey. I don't, I, I, this was a challenge for me. I just got cut from my team. I'm playing with a bunch of older guys and all this stuff. Well, you know, I, if, if nothing pans out, you know, I'll, I'll have a great education and I'll go, you know, have, having gone to the, a pretty prestigious prep school, hopefully, you know, and get a degree and see what, see what transpires. 
So we went out and took a tour out there and ended up... Uh, Where's there? Uh, out in Boston. Okay. So we toured 11 or 12 different private preparatory schools. And I ended up uh, attending Tabor Academy in Marion, Massachusetts. So really unbelievable experience. Um, so, for example, here's a, here's a, so Carly Simon and James Taylor's daughter was in my in my class. All right. Yeah, um, you know, so I had people like I had people like that in my in my in one of my in some of my classes. So, which was an interesting cultural awareness to what the heck is going on in the world at that point. It's just you go from this very small. Uh, localized idea in Illinois and all of a sudden you get out there and so it really opens your eyes to a lot of different things so I went to Tabor and I spent my sophomore and junior year at Tabor um, and uh, you know at that point I just really I had had enough of prep school it's very very disciplined it's very very micromanaged um, and I was kind of I was kind of getting to the point where I just wanted to do something a little bit different I think and uh, um, I decided to try junior for my senior year. So for counting right now, this is my third high school in four years. And uh, um, I ended up uh, you know, playing for the junior Bruins. I just had probably one of the greatest experiences playing that as my senior year. And you know, I, do I regret that decision as far as staying in one high school for that whole time? I wouldn't have known any difference, so I can't answer that, but... Uh, it was it was a great experience for me to be able to do kind of all those different things. You know, I went to high school in Chicago for a year, went to the two years of, of prep school, and then uh, my fourth year, um, you know, I ended up being with, with the Junior Bruins doing something completely wild and crazy. So why did you, um, your parents, so you're away from home now. Yeah. And how often did you see your parents? Was that hard to be away from your parents? Tremendously, tremendously hard. Uh, I le- so I left home when I was 15. And, uh, you know, I look at that now and I, I don't know how my mom and dad did it, to be honest with you. If I look at, you know, I've got a nine-year-old daughter right now. I mean, we're looking just a few years away and she'd be leaving. Um, that would be, that would crush me as a, as a dad. But it speaks also to their, you know, willingness to, you know, see kind of what I wanted to do as far as academics and potentially maybe, you know, using some of my sports to do something later, you know, just college-wise. I mean, this was not nothing about pro or anything about at that, at that time. Um, but that's a huge sacrifice. And I think people, people don't appreciate, you know, the sacrifices that parents make in that regard. Um, you know, it was, it something that my mom and dad really wanted me to do. It was, but they, they self, you know, they sacrificed some of the things that, you know, were special to them in order to give me an opportunity to better myself. And that was, you know, it's a, um, I thank them, you know, to this day for that. So, at what point does uh, do the colleges start coming around and recruiting you? Um, <laughs> my my senior year, um, you know, I had a couple of uh, of opportunities. I actually ended up signing early at the University of Michigan, which was which was a huge surprise uh, for me because I hadn't I, I went back and forth with a couple schools in my junior year, um, but little did I know that that Michigan had kind of been keeping an eye on me for a couple of years. Um, and again, I was a shorter defenseman, which is, you know, typically not what the CCHA or college hockey play, hockey schools really want. Um, and uh, so the story goes, I get a call one evening at my, at my billets house, my junior year, the family I'm living with. And 
you know, it's, uh, it's Red Berenson from the University of Michigan. And he explains to me, he said, you know, Blake, we've been watching you for a little while. And, you know, what's your general feeling on the University of Michigan? I said, well, coach, I said, I really would like to like to visit and I'd like to meet you and, and kind of get an idea of if it would be a good fit. And he said, well, listen, this is what, you know, we're all about here. He said, uh, I'm not going to waste your time bringing you out for an official visit because they can only give, you know, I can only take so many. But if the... If we have an opportunity to do that, and what, um, we'd love to have you come out and uh, you know visit with us. And this was on a Wednesday. Well, two days later, Friday morning comes, and I get a call from the assistant coach. He said, well, can you come out this weekend? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, geez, I just talked to the head coach. They weren't going to bring me out. Now all of a sudden they are. Well, what happened? Well, the story goes, I guess another guy decommit, another guy didn't take him up on the offer, so they kind of went down the list and said, Sloan's the next guy on the list, so we'll invite him out to campus. So I went out to campus and uh, you know early that year and, and uh, um, ended up signing in October, uh, my senior year. So I, I you know had an opportunity to meet Coach Berenson and kind of what they wanted me to do. It was my I went to one other visit. Uh, which is Providence College and the University of New Hampshire. And the other, you know, there was no other quote-unquote bigger schools that were really looking at me. But so that's, that was kind of the story of, you know, when they offered me an opportunity to go there, I was, it was very unexpected, if you will. Like they offered me a scholarship to go there, and it wasn't something at all where I was like, geez, this was kind of expected. It was a surprise. All right, so next year you go to, you go to, to Michigan. Yeah. Was there a big adjustment from playing from the Boston Junior Bruins to playing you know, college hockey in the CJHA? Uh, there was a big adjustment hockey-wise, mm-hmm. huge adjustment hockey-wise. You know, but why was there an adjustment there? What was uh, the adjustment? The adjustment was, I mean, you're just you're playing with with, you know, you go from playing against boys to playing against men, you know, and and guys who are physically stronger. Um, you know, they've had three, four, five years of, of at a university with a strength coach that are doing some things that I hadn't quite been doing yet as a, as a high school kid. Um, and there's the adjustment, you know, just socially with uh, trying to deal with the academic rigors of things, and um, which the prep school and just being away from home since 15, that was the least of my worries because I kind of had that part figured out. Um, but the hockey, the hockey adjustment was huge, and uh, I struggled there for a little bit for sure. So did you play that much your first year? I did. They lost. Uh, they lost ten, 10 seniors the year before. So we had a nine, nine uh, person class, and every one of us played played that year, which was which was huge. So, um, so what, what? So you just struggled this with the physicality of the of the game. Yeah, you've got. It's definitely the physicality, the pace, the skating. Um, you know, that's one of the. My skating was always um, something that kind of helped me get to the next levels. Um, but even being a good skater, you know, and just doing things, you had to think think the next play a lot quicker than and make adjustments to things um, a lot quicker than I had been doing in the past. So you just have to get into that framework and that mindset, um, you know, and, and the pressures and the rigors that you put on yourself you're representing a huge university where there's lots of people watching and they're writing about you in the paper um you know those sorts of things were kind of caught me off guard off guard a little bit as well because there's there is so much uh, under the microscope I, I can't imagine today 
you know, with the social media and all the things involved now, um, how you'd be in the fishbowl even more. You know, it's, I was in a little bit of the fishbowl and I was kind of feeling that. Now I couldn't imagine the guys that, uh, and the gals that do that. It's a, it's a huge, uh, you have to be, you have to be in the right, the right frame of mind to be able to deal with all that. got this crazy idea of using sports stories to hopefully encourage youth and high school athletes and their parents as they are on their journey. Since retiring, I have coached over 85 youth sports teams over the last 12 years and I have seen our world change. Our kids and their parents are more insecure than ever. We are comparing others' best presentation of themselves against how we view ourselves. We are comparing our real life to another's highlight reel. This is not fair. Real life is full of adversity. You will see in all our stories, we are all going to get knocked down. The successful people get back up and dust themselves off and continue to move forward. There is so much good that can come out of adversity if we allow it. As my mom said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We are looking for sponsors to help us on our mission of connecting youth sports for good. If you'd like to sponsor our podcast, you can email me at Corey.Koski at linkly.com. That's Corey.Koski at linkly.com. With the right partners, we can connect youth sports for good and change this world. Welcome back to How I Got Here from Lakeland. It is 1997, and Blake Sloan has just graduated from the University of Michigan. It is now decision time. What are you going to do? Blake is trying to decide what to do in the next stage of his life. Does he become a teacher? He doesn't have any options in hockey, but he does have some special roommates. Lived in a house with... Uh... Jason Bottero, Warren Looning, and Brendan Morrison. So uh, a first-round draft pick and two second-round draft picks. Jason had a different agent, but uh, Brendan and Warren had the same agent. And he was, you know, over the course of two or three years, he'd be lingering around the house a little bit, you know, just over the course of visiting. Um, and we had a discussion one day, and um, he said, Blake, what are you going to do after school? And I think, I, I think I'm going to go teach. And he said, well, you know, would you ever think about playing? I said, well, yeah, of course. If someone came and gave me an opportunity to play a little bit after, for sure, I'd love to. And uh, he said, well, do you have anyone that's kind of advocating for you to do that? I said, no. And he said, well, would you like me to do that? And I said, uh, well, yeah, absolutely. And I said, well, I don't have any money to pay you, Kurt. Like, you know, kind of one of these things. He goes, he goes let's not worry about that. He says, every, every year as part of my practice... What I'd like to do is I'd like to take a dark horse and, uh, you know, do it pro bono and basically help give you an opportunity to play at the next level. I think you could play. I think you could play for a long time. And I said, really? I kind of looked at him like kind of shocked. I was like, yeah, this, all right, that might be, it might be interesting. So I, I kind of left it in his court 
and he called me in August of that summer and he said, hey, I've got an opportunity for you. And I'm thinking, geez, an opportunity. I'm like, yeah, I got a contract. I'm going to go somewhere. He goes, no, I have, you, I have an opportunity for you to go try out in Houston. And I'm like, okay, that sounds, that sounds good, I guess. You know? So you graduated. I graduated. You graduated. Yep. And are you still working out? Or what are you doing yeah, in the summer? I'm, yeah, I'm preparing, I'm preparing to go play hockey at this point. And, uh, you know, I graduated from the University of Michigan. I'm still, you know, but I've got my resumes kind of made up at this point. I've kind of got a second, second plan going. And so he calls me in August and he says, yeah, I go down to Houston and you can, I said, well, what's the lay of the land down there? And he said, well, they keep seven defensemen on a pro roster. They have, they have seven signed right now. And I said, okay, well, do we know what are the other guys that are, Gonna, are there going to be any other people there trying out? I'm sure he goes, yeah, there's 15 defensemen going to be there trying out as well. And I said, Kurt, I said, with all due respect, you know, like, that doesn't seem like such a great opportunity. <laughs> and, he, he, you know, he explained the reasons why I should go and do this. And, and one of them was the coach, this Dave Tippett, a shorter, hardworking kind of player. Um, I had two guys that were my seat when I was a freshman. They were seniors at Michigan who were down there who knew me. Um, and just this is a good opportunity, a great league for me, and it fits my style of play. I said, well, okay, what are the other options? He's like, there are none. <laughs> so basically off of that, I said, okay, this sounds like if I want to pursue this, this is what I'm going to do. So I showed up in Houston uh, for my first my first time, um, and I had been down to San Antonio one other time for uh, for a Junior Olympic Festival, and the only thing I remember is how hot it was. And I remember getting off the plane, thing in the end of the end of August, and my sandals almost gluing themselves to the asphalt as I waited for the for the, the for the van to pick me up outside. It was so gosh darn hot. You know, it's kind of the take a breath and your it takes your breath away. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I said, how are you going to play hockey down here like this? This is unbelievable. So anyway, I, I went to the Houston Arrows and uh, I I tried out. And you made the team. Yeah, I I made the team, and uh, it was it was not just like you know after tryouts they made this commitment to me. I I was playing pretty well, and and the coach was liking me, and the teammates were liking me, and I was kind of making some impact and I was getting some more opportunities to do things and uh, I think yeah I, it got to the point where they kept signing me there was you know all these other guys were leaving and I was still there but I was still living in a hotel so I lived in a hotel until December of that year so that's almost three and a half or four months and what the what the coach did and you know smart to him is he signed me on two-week player tryouts so he never gave me a commitment that I was going to stay. He kept signing me as if I was going to, you know, not perform one week or if, if there was another available opportunity, he might sign someone else. So I was playing day to day. Yep, every two weeks. I was like, you know, here's your here's your another contract, Blake. Sign here for another two weeks. So 14 days I kept, you know, from, from tryout to tryout to tryout. So how much were you getting paid? Uh, at that point, I think it was... Three fifty a week, I think. Three hundred fifty dollars a week. Yeah, and every two weeks. But I got a hotel, oh. and I got free continental breakfast as well. <laughs> <laughs> Had no car. I took uh, I took the shuttle van to the rink every day. So, 
this is a good story though. So finally December comes and, and Dave Tippett, the guy who was who was the coach at the time, uh, he was in Dallas and Phoenix for all those years and he calls me in the office and he's got this big duster and he looks at me and he says, Sloney, you know, I have a seat. And I sit down, and he says, you know, you can finally go get an apartment. And he saw this big dumbfounded look on my face, like he goes, This is the part where you say, like, this is great. I I made the hockey team, like shake my hand and you leave and I'm like is there a problem and he's like and I look at him and I remember I said well does that mean like I gotta move out of the hotel and and I, I remember saying it out loud and thinking how dumb it was I said well how am I gonna get to the rink I don't have a car <laughs> and this is what I'm thinking to myself this whole time and he looks at me and he's like yeah, you, you have to go get an apartment now and you need to go buy an automobile, you know, kind of like, this is, this is what you have to do. And I said, well, Tim, I, I don't have any money to get an automobile. And he said, well, he said, we'll talk to Debbie after. I'll give you an advance on some money and you can make sure you have a down payment. So he actually gave me a little bit of money up front to, to help me out of my paycheck that I was going to make to, to, uh, uh, to buy an automobile. And it was one of the greatest, you know, it's one of the things I look back on. I just think that the, the quality of man that he is and was for that is, is pretty spectacular. So I leave there and I go back to the hotel and I literally pack up my two bags and I had Nick, my, my buddy who drives the, drives the hotel van. I said, Blake, we're, we're, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I got to check out of the hotel today, you know? And so he goes, well, I said, first I said, can we go down to the car lot down the street? And, so he literally dropped me off at the car lot in the hotel in the hotel van, and if anyone ever wants to get a lot of attention at a used car lot, show up with two bags, and get out of a hotel van. And there was like there was people fighting to get out to come. To get, this guy's not leaving until he buys a car. So I bought a car that day, and you know I went to stay with a buddy for two nights until I figured out my apartment situation. So. So what did the stars get? involved in this conversation because you played in Houston and then the next year you go back there yeah and then the stars did you know that they were looking at you did they know no um I had zero idea um you know I was I was playing in Houston I was you know I making minimum contract of 24,000 no 25,500 bucks for a year um at the time and I, I was having a blast I one of my best friends growing up with was down there we lived together um which saved me a lot of money because it's, you know, which is what you got to do. Um, and I just, I was just enjoying, enjoying life and I was playing hockey and I was, uh, just really enjoying it. And the story goes, uh, we're in Las Vegas cause that was one of the teams that we played, you know, in the IHL, uh, coach Tippett again, you know, you're going to see a theme here eventually, but coach Tippett looks down to the end of the bench and we had two forwards that got hurt. Um, a forward that just got in a fight and one of our forwards was at the end of the bench and he was puking because he was sick so he literally had like four or five forwards on his end of the bench and he looks down and there's five or six defensemen and he said you know Sloney come, come down here for a second he, I came down and he, he looks at me and he said I need you to play forward for this period and I looked at him I said coach I never played forward ever he goes it doesn't matter he goes I need you to go up and down the wing, catch the pass, move the puck. It's a hockey, right? You can figure this out. I said, all right, let's go. So he threw me out at four, never played forward before. And, uh, you know, 
didn't think I did anything special or anything like that. And after the game, he he uh, he says, Blake, he said, you sure you never played forward before? And I said, no, I never played forward before. He goes, I, he goes, you were you were really really good, like like I think you could play at the next level doing this. And I'm like, well, kind of scoffed it off and said, well, geez, thanks, Tip. You know, I appreciate it, but probably not going to happen, right? Well. So after the summer goes by, and this was at the end of my first year there, and the summer goes by and my agent calls me and he, he looks and he says, uh, Blake, Tip called me and he would like to use, you know, with your permission throughout the course of next year, he wants you to play forward and defense. He'll tell you before the game, you know, if you're going to play. He just, you know, what do you think about that? And I said, well, geez, if, if it's going to help the team and that's what he wants, you know, I, I think that'd be great. You know, I said, what do you think about it, Kurt? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this forever, right? I, I'm a pretty decent defenseman, a yeoman defenseman. I, I, maybe I could just play longer if I play D. And he said, well, I, I think you should just do it. I think it'd be a great opportunity to do something different. And, you know, it'd be why not add it to your bag of tricks? I said, sure. So that next year he got – he not only started moving me back and forth between – between games and then periods based on how the team was doing he started and it got a little bit out of hand he started doing it in between shifts so I'd I'd kill a penalty as a forward I'd go back to I'd go back to D I'd play five on five then it would be a four on four I'd go to forward I was like all over the lineup and it started kind of screw with me a little bit mentally because it's really hard to shift your mindset to do different things but at the same time little did he know that I was learning a lot through this whole experience right and uh um, so anyway, so that I, I was doing pretty well and, and just having fun again, not thinking anything about it. And, uh, you know, I, the story goes and the whole year almost goes by. We've got probably 15 games left. Our team in Houston is like 55, 14, and like three. Like we have an unbelievable team. We're poised to go win the Turner Cup that year, which, which we did. Um, and... Uh, a big, big weekend, a big weekend matchup was coming up with the Kalamazoo K Wings, and Kalamazoo is the farm team of Dallas. And uh, so, you know, that week in practice, everyone's getting fired up. It's going to, you know, it's going to help determine some positioning for, for the Kalamazoo K Wings. And uh, that week in practice, they, uh, um, Coach Tippett said said to me, which I was really shocked with, but. He tells me the story after why he did it, but he says, "Blake, you're gonna you're gonna play forward all weekend this weekend." And I'm thinking, "Geez, we have a couple D men that are hurt," and he's asking me to play forward. But I was young and dumb; I didn't think anything of it. I said, "Sure, yeah, I was people pleaser, you know." Like, okay, sure, coach, whatever you need. And I played that weekend series, and little did I know, the brass from Dallas came down. They were watching the K Wings, and they were watching me. Coach Tippett never informed me about that. They asked specifically, I guess, is that they called him and said, listen, we'd like to see Blake play forward all weekend. Can you do that? And Tip agreed and never informed me about it. And uh, so the weekend came and went, and I had a, a nice weekend. The team won. It was great. Uh, you know, after a weekend series, we tend to go out and have some fun with the guys. And um, woke up rather late on Monday morning after the weekend series, and I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, it's – no cell phones at this time and the phone you know the phone rings in my apartment and I pick it up and my agent says Blake what how you doing I said good good he says uh, what are you doing I said why well, you know it's March in in, in Houston I'm, I'm gonna go hit golf balls like it's a day off right this is gonna be great and I said I'm gonna go hit golf balls he said well you can't do that today and I said Kurt 
I got to go. There's guys waiting for me. We could talk about this later. I'll call you tonight. Is that okay? He goes, no, no, no. You don't understand. He says, you got to wait around by the phone for a few minutes. Bob Ganey um, is going to call you. And I said, Bob Ganey, who? And like, and he's like, from the stars, you knucklehead. Like this is, and I said, yeah, I know who he is, Kurt, but why is he going to call me? And he says, well, he'd like you to, he, he wants to call and talk to you about potentially joining the, the Dallas stars um, for the remainder of the year and uh, uh, playing in the playoffs with them. And I said, what? I said, no, it, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, it, Mike Madano, Joe Neuendijk, Pat Verbeek, Gary Lettinen, Brad Hall, Brian Scrudlin, Mike Keane, Key Carbono, Eddie Belfort. These are the names that are just circulating through my mind. I, I, I was like, this is impossible. How is this going to work? And he said, just hear him out, see what have to, he has to say, and then, you know, call me back after. So Bob Ganey calls me, and in typical, you know, thank goodness I played for Red Barrenson in Michigan because he has a very similar demeanor as, as Bob does. And he calls and he says, I'm 23 years old at this time. And he looks at me and he, he speaks into the phone. He says, Blake, this is Bob. Uh, I was at your games this weekend. I said, you know, he goes, what do you think you did well? And what do you think you did poorly? And I gave him a couple of things. I just thought about the game and spoke from the heart and was a little bit self-critical at times to a couple of different things. And then he said, okay. He said, if you were to come play in Dallas tomorrow night against the Edmonton Oilers, what... Uh, what do you think you can do to help our team? And I'm thinking to myself, like, carry your stick bags around? Like, this is what I'm <laughs> So I, I said, I, 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 I don't know, Bob. I, I, I don't know. And that's all I could say. And I'm thinking, like, gosh, there's an opportunity to, to sell yourself here. And, and he says, okay. He says, uh, I'll work out the details uh, with Kurt in the next few minutes, but I think you should pack your stuff and... Uh, We'll expect you to see here, see you here for morning skate tomorrow morning. And uh, I kind of hung up the phone and was like, am I going to Dallas right now? To... And I didn't know what to do or say or think. I had no idea. And Kurt finally calls me and he said, uh, so this is the point in my career where most people would be like, well, what's the contract ramifications? What does this look like? There was nothing because Kurt's like, you know, you're just going to sign a normal standard minimum league contract <laughs> you know here you go and I said well where do I sign you know like here you go this is all you got and I said all right well however before I signed it I, I kept thinking I'm like here I am I'm, I'm playing really well for this minor league team if the Dallas Stars want me to play for them we have a chance to make a great run through the playoffs like maybe more teams would want me down you know next year in the summer if I stayed here I'm gonna go to Dallas and maybe sit the pine for on this unbelievable team so I called Tippett, and I was like, again, Dave. I said, Dave, I, you know, I, I think I, I don't want to leave you guys kind of high and dry. Like, we're 54 and 8. What? The ironic thing is the Dallas Stars at this time were also, like, 58 and 5. Like, they were or 15. They were very, very successful at this time. And, uh, and he's listening. He's not saying anything. And, of course, I'm a person who likes to talk. And I'm like, please say something. Like, and he goes... And all I could say at the end of the uh, end of the conversation, he says, "Blake, if you're not in your car tonight, or if you're at practice tomorrow morning, I will personally get in the car with you and drive you to Dallas." And I said, "So, Coach, I I'm hearing you say you want me to go to Dallas. Get in the car and go. And I don't want to see you come back." And I'm like, "Okay." 
So <laughs> there was nothing else to do at that point. He's basically saying, Blake, I want you to get out of here. I want you to go do this. It's important. You know, good luck. And I don't want to see you come back. And, uh, you know, that was a huge, that was a huge motivation for me as he was, you know, this is a guy that respect, he gave me an opportunity. He, he gave me money in, in advance to buy a, an automobile. You know, like this guy was like, like I probably would run through a wall for him if he asked me to. And he's like, Blake, go, you need to do this. This is important and don't come back. All right. So you go up now, you're, now you go to Dallas. Yeah, I go to Dallas and I show up the first day and I walk in and, you know, Hey, I'm. Mike Madano and I'm Brett. Yeah, I, I know who you guys are. You know, I'm, I'm Eddie and Eddie Belfour and Darren Hatcher and Sergey Zuboff. And I'm just going down the line. And I'm going, where the hell do you, do you fit in this room? And, you know, so I look, I walk in the locker room and over in the corner is I've got a, I've got a folding chair that's up against a pillar with my nameplate above it. And because the room was full, they had a bunch of injuries at the time and they weren't going to give this young kid a, a real locker. So, that's where it was, and uh, I loved it because it was like I, I I didn't want to ever think that I was there to like stay or belong or anything like that, and that's where I dressed. I dressed in the lawn chair in the corner uh, with no stall or nothing to keep any of my stuff in for the entire 14 games I was there, um, and so it was 14 games left in that year before the playoffs, and this team was, they were going to be number one in the Western Division, no muss, no fuss. And I basically had 14, well, I had about seven games to make an impression where they were going to put me on their playoff roster. And I'm like, and I didn't know this at the time, but you have to, you know, you have to, if they're going to put you on your playoff roster, they have only so many players that they can. So you have to prove that you're going to, you know, be, be willing, you know, be there to stay. And I ended up playing 13 out of the 14 games, um, at the end, uh, in in that post in that uh, regular end of the regular season, and I make I make the starting lineup in the in the Stanley Cup, and pl- end up playing uh, nineteen of twenty one games uh, in a Stanley Cup run. That was, you know, I, that was probably one of the greatest experiences I ever had. Um, had no idea what I was doing. Completely young, dumb, no idea. Um, you know the ramifications of that and how how much time and effort and um, commitment people have the veterans that hadn't had an opportunity to play in those games yet and here I was 14 games into my NHL career and I'm playing game 15 you know against the Edmonton Oilers at home you know so we we go on to sweep Edmonton in the first uh, in the first series we end up playing uh, um, St. Louis in that uh, second series um, then we have to go to Colorado and play Colorado. You know, Forsberg, Hayduke, Patrick Roy, Wah, Sackick. I mean, the names are endless there. Um, you know, and then we had match up in the in the final against Buffalo, and the the famous no goal, the the no goal that I still walk around Buffalo and see see people wearing. <laughs> so, so you um, tell me about the. Uh, the nickname the caffeinated squirrel <laughs> um, the caffeinated squirrel was a name that the announcer in Dallas Daryl Ray um, gave to me um, he's a he's a he's a brilliant guy he's a wordsmith uh, one of the one of the best announcers that I've seen with with creating kind of 
you know, these, these wordsmithing uh, characteristics when he talks about, you know, goalies making a save or something like this. And um, so I had a shift in one of my first games there in Dallas, and he hadn't seen me play, or, you know, obviously very much. Um, but he was talking about me being out there and forechecking and going from one defenseman to the next and making a hit and coming back and backchecking and taking the puck and making a pass and going to the net and, you know, and it was a really good. It was a good shift in his opinion. He just said, you know, the thing, the effort this kid, does, you know, uses, and um, you know, it looks like he's a squirrel going from tree to tree. Not only a squirrel, but a caffeinated squirrel going back. And I guess it was very popular among some of the fans, and that was where that kind of originated. And people, I actually saw jerseys made with my number with with squirrel on the back. So <laughs> it's not something I'm proud of, but I I, I do I did respect the. Uh, uh, the, the call out. Okay, so you played two years. Yeah, two years with the Stars. You get back, set, uh, you get sent back to Houston, uh, and then kind of from there, you, you know, you start to belch out a little bit in your mm-hmm. NHL career. You, know, you go to Columbus, to to Calgary, with a couple stints in the minors. Yeah. So when did you start seeing kind of your NHL career as potentially at risk? <laughs> I think. I think every every year and every day I saw my NHL career at risk. You know, like I, I never felt like uh, it was something that I could take for granted or not perform at my best every day because um, I just wasn't in that position ever. So, um, you know, I, I, I guess after I left Dallas, I kind of didn't know the path of what was going to happen. I went to an expansion team in Columbus and, uh, you know, I thought, geez, I, I've had such great experiences and you know, with, with a veteran team, maybe they, they'd like me to use some of those experiences to help them along their path and their journey. And then I ended up going to uh, Calgary for a little bit. And, you know, and then I, I, I didn't have an opportunity after that. You know, I was kind of stumbling around and bouncing around. And, um, you know, I, it got to be uh, end of October at one point was the, uh, and with, with no super, with no opportunity to really to play or do anything. And, uh, um, ended up signing a, a, a contract with the Grand Rapids Griffins of just a, a player tryout again. Um, and there was a bunch of in- injuries in Detroit. I ended up getting called up to Detroit. I'm ready to play in Detroit. And my agent calls me right before I'm about to take a pregame nap and says, uh, yeah, you, you, uh, you didn't clear waivers, so you're not going to be here in Detroit. you got to get on a plane and fly to Anaheim. The Stars picked you back up off waivers. And you got to play in Anaheim against LA tonight. So I drove my truck to the airport, tossed the keys to some guy <laughs> to valet it, and uh, wound up wound up on the West Coast. And uh, you know, I woke up that morning thinking I was going to play for the Red Wings against uh, uh, who was it? I think it was against Florida. I think that night. So you know, it's uh, you got to be a little bit adaptable to those things. But uh, but yeah, every year was a you know, a crapshoot whether I was going to have a job or an opportunity. And uh, it got to the point where one year I just said, you know what, it, it was, I was 29 and, um, you know, I had always thought about playing in Europe and just kind of using it as an opportunity to, to see the world and the culture just do some different things. And uh, I had an opportunity where a team in Sweden, which is a really great league, you know, was, was going to have me come over for a six-month contract because that's all that the imports on their team can come um, and I went over there and played for a year and then wound up going to Germany for eight years after that. So so as far as from a, a financial standpoint, 
you know, now you're get, you're getting up in there in age. You're playing. You chose to go to Europe. Yeah. Like what? You go to Sweden. What are their contracts like compared to the NHL contracts? Kind of where you were in that stage of your career. Uh, I always like to say by the time, by the time you factor in taxes and apartments and cars because that's what they give you over there and they pay your taxes. It's certainly not, you really can't compare apples to apples, but by the time you compare like your take-home pay and, you know, all of that stuff, um, it's, I would say in Sweden, it's fairly, fairly comparable to what I was making as a, in a minimum, at a minimum contract in the NHL. Um, in Germany, it's probably a little bit less, but at the same time, um, you know, you, you know, like, let's say you make 50,000 euro, um, in Europe, in Germany. It's it's usually about three times of what so your contract in the U.S. you probably have to sign you know one hundred fifty thousand dollar contract in the minors to make that kind of offset is what you kind of have to have to look at that um, and I, I I've never done any like hard math on that but I just I kind of thought about it as the years progressed or whatever that that's kind of the the threshold that you got to look at so at what point do you get married and start having kids and how did your kids or how did your family your family was with you in in europe and monica when did this all when did monica come to the picture yeah i was over in sweden my first year on my own and we monica and i started dating that next year um so my first year in germany uh, we we were dating and then we got married that following summer um, and then she came over with me to germany that second year she was getting her MBA at the University of Texas when we started dating, and uh, um, and I think we were able to. I was able to stay. I say we, we, I, I and we were able to stay over there as long as we we did. I think um, because when she originally went over, she had her MBA. We were very lucky. We found an opportunity for her to work. So for two and a half or three years before we had kids, you know, she was getting up every day. She was doing consulting. She was in Stuttgart. She was in Copenhagen. Um, she was in Belgium for a little bit. Um, she was working for Deloitte, you know, traveling. She had a purpose. She had something to do. She, you know, she wasn't just sitting around being bored. She was meeting people outside of the hockey environment. And I think that was a huge, uh, a huge benefit to our relationship and just being able to experience something different and fun together. Cool. So you played, you played like eight years in Europe and, um, and then you need to retire. Like, what was that process like? Decided to say, okay, you know what? It's time for me to turn the page here. Yeah, I had some injuries toward the end. I broke broke my ankle real bad with some plates and screws, um, which was really tough to come back from. Uh, as I was at, when I was about thirty seven, I did that, um, and I played up until I was thirty eight. So I was able to come back after I did that, and. The body just was really starting to deteriorate. I could feel when I had injuries, I would pull a groin, and what normally would take me a day and a half to recover from was taking me two weeks, and it was it was very challenging. So uh, you get home, you're done playing. You have a wife and a couple of kids. You know, you're 38 years old. Yeah. Uh, you want to sign a cup. You play in the NHL. Like, what are you thinking at this point? Survival. <laughs> um, no, I, you know what? I don't know what I was thinking. I think it's. Uh, I didn't give enough uh, justice to the folks that kept telling me to just start thinking about the next phase and start thinking about those things of what is it that you want to do and how are you going to do it and start preparing yourself for like that um, to put yourself in the best in the best in the best you know scenario you can um, 
and I, I, I thought about it, but I never, once you're in that situation, it's really t- difficult to adapt and to adjust to it. So I wish, you know, if there's one thing that I would recommend, and I've, I've talked to, you know, younger players now, and I could see the same look that they give me that I'm sure I gave people when they told me this is, you know, I, I've, I've got to stay so, so, stay, stay so focused on my task at hand that for me to get outside the box gets to be a real challenge. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have a, a path. I, I knew I was, I had some things to offer people, you know, especially younger people. I thought, uh, I spent a lot of my time, uh, at the professional ranks, helping younger folks and kids and teaching and whatnot. So, you know, my initial reaction was that, you know what, I would really like to coach. I'd really like to teach. Um, and I was really fortunate. I had an opportunity to uh, do some substitute teaching and coaching um, at Providence Academy up in Plymouth, Minnesota, while also um, doing some coaching for the Wyzetta, uh hockey team as well, the, the boys' varsity hockey team. So uh, what would you say, what did you learn as an athlete? <laughs> what are some of the top two things you learned as an athlete? You know, when there's, you know, I would, I think the biggest thing is the grit factor. I think when you, when you get knocked down, when you, when you don't have success to right off the bat, you've got to find other ways to do certain things and you've got to, you've got to just keep, you know, finding that path, finding the, the, the motivation to keep going and to try, try things that are a little bit different. Um, you know, I think one of the things that helped me in my career most was the willingness to, when people ask you to do something, to to not be resentful of the fact or to look at it as a negative, to, to change the mindset and say, you know what, you know, Coach Tippett said, hey, do you want to try forward? Well, no, not really, but you're asking me to, so yeah, why don't I do it for a couple of days? And why not do it for the next half of the year? And then you know what? I'm in the NHL, maybe in a Stanley Cup final. You know, I, I could have never scripted that, but... You know, if, if I would have had a closed-off idea of, you know what, I, I don't think this is right for me. No, I don't want to look at these things. So I think as I look at the business environment that I've come into now, um, it's one of the things I struggle with most is, you know, people are so – it tend to be very focused on what they're doing in their little world. And um, it's 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 really important to be able to, to step outside, to stand on the balcony a little bit and to, um, you know, see how you're affecting everyone else and your – you know, whether it's your, your – immediate group or you know the organization or the parent company all the way through there's a lot of different avenues that that you can you can look at so how are you applying this to business there's not a day goes by that i don't reflect on something that happened to me you know in my hockey world i mean i did it for 17 years so it's it's in my fabric it's in my dna um you know are there challenges every day heck yeah but uh you know again i'm i'm trying to do a better job of just you know, uh, getting better, get impro- incremental improvements every day, you know, focusing on the things that I can control. All those things that, you know, th- those uh, slogans that you hear all growing up, um, you know, those are things I, I, I really am intentional about thinking about because I know this is something that's very new and unique and different for me. Um, but I think there's so many things that are transferable and there's so many things that, uh, um, you know, have been great a great benefit to me when I think about the number of coaches and cultures and people. You know, I think I counted the coaches I played for in 17 years, and I think the number was like 37. So basically, I have 37 bosses plus 
GMs, you know, all these other folks as well. That's a lot of people that you have to try to, you know, relate to and, and you know, have dialogues with. So I think the ability to communicate and articulate and uh, um, have the other person understand where you're coming from is important. How are you applying it to youth coaching? How are you applying what you learned to youth coaching? You know, I, I again, there's there's so many avenues you can go down in this one, the rabbit hole, and I think uh, it, all the things that I have have been taught. I think I just try to emulate the coaches that I've had, the mentors that I've had. Um, the parents that are good people. I, I, my parents were so intentional about making sure that uh, the coaches that I was around, the teachers that I had, um, you know, had fabric like themselves a little bit and just believed in some of the same ideas. And I think it's so important that I'm just, you know, if I want my son or daughter to play for someone in sports and I want, you know, I want to be able to have that conversation with them about, you know, success and, and winning and failure and um, grit and getting knocked down and what those things look like. You just want to make sure the messaging is consistent. And, and uh, um, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is I, 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 I try to have that same consistency, whether I'm at home, whether I'm at work, whether I'm dealing with youth. Uh, you just have to you just have to use uh, a little bit different vocabulary, maybe when you're with when you're talking to younger people. Um, and the emotions are a little bit higher. I talked to my son and we, you know, we lose by a goal in soccer. And I say, we, I'm not even coaching. And he's in tears for like an hour. And I, I, I'm trying to just get him through. Well, well okay, well, we, what did we take away from the game? You know, we didn't, you guys didn't win the game. Just, let's look at some other things. How do we look at it in a different lens? You know, what did we take away? What can we do different next time? Um, you know, have you talked about different things with your teammates were you a good teammate out there hey thanks for listening to today's show here's what i learned interviewing blake team before self the story about blake moving to forward because that is what the team needed at that point really resonated with me blake had a team first mentality and it served him well over his career here's what i'm seeing in youth sports it is not just the kids but the parents are an enabler of this it is no longer what can my kid do to help the team win? And now becomes, team, what are you going to do to help my kid? Real development happens when we're working for something that's bigger than ourselves. We can't lose a team first mentality in team sports. Make sure to check out the website, www.linkly.com for more stories. If you have any questions or want to have a discussion about anything you heard in this podcast or anything that you want to share, ask me on Linkleet's Facebook page. If you'd like to Twitter us, you can do that at Linkleet47. One more thing, if you can go and rate us on the iTunes podcast, that'd be great. It'd even be better if you can give us a five-star rating. I'm Corey Kosky. You've been listening to How I Got Here from Linkleet. A special thanks to Wade Beavers, Sean Lee, Jim Koslowski, and Maria Holmes.